So, um, I love language. I love words. Uh, that, that maybe is one of the reasons why I love uh, music, and particularly I like, I like music with words. <laughs> Not a huge fan of instrumental music, although there's some of it that I really dig. But primarily I like words, uh, words in songs and words that uh, tell stories. I love story songs. I'm a sucker for love ballads. I have, I have a ballad voice. I'm not a rock and roll singer. I, I can't really pull that off. I'm a ballad singer. And one of the things that I love about uh, language, I, I say this a lot, um, kind of became a little bit of a joke, as, especially as the boys were growing up. Um, I say this thing all the time. I say words mean things. Like they have, they have value, they have weight. And uh, we can use those in positive or negative ways, right? You've, you've experienced that. Uh, words can be given to you that are positive. Words can be given to you that are negative. Uh, words can serve to illuminate things, make things more clear. Words can serve to confuse things beyond any degree of comprehension. Uh, words can be used to uh, hide things, right? Uh, so they're powerful. Words are powerful. It's interesting to me, and, and we'll touch on this a little bit later, that in the Bible, in the book of John, Jesus is described as the Word of God. That's a powerful picture if you, if you think it through and if you think about the importance of words. Um, one of the other things that I love about uh, words is I love the, the history of words, uh, what they call uh, etymology of words, how, where did they come from, uh, what did they used to mean, and uh, you may not be aware, but there are a number of words that we use today that do not mean what they used to mean. Now, some of those are kind of obvious, like uh, I remember uh, in the 90s working with uh, teenagers is when uh, the words like dope, that's so dope, came in, and we'd be like, you're a dope, right? Hey, Stupid word, but it stuck anyway, right? Uh, oh, that's, um, and th this one I, I think is still in vogue today. That's so sick. Meaning, you know, I don't want to be sick. Sick implies vomiting. Um, and yet somehow now sick means awesome, right? Like, oh, that's so cool. That's, I mean, cool is not even a cool word anymore. Who knows what cool means now? The meaning of that's probably completely changed now. I know Strumpler uh, identifies with this because he's so out of step with modern times. Um, <laughs> You should come to one of our you should come to one of our Decapo choir rehearsals once in a while and, and listen to him try and communicate with the teens. It's it's entertaining, um, but he knows what I mean. Uh, we're both old guys and, and we get it. But uh, there's some like uh, for instance the word nice, right? That's nice. Originally meant silly, or foolish, or simple. So think about that, right? See if you know these things. You can communicate secretly. You can say, you're so nice. Huh? <laughs> you're with me? Right? Speaking of silly, the word silly, right? We think that means, oh, that's dopey. Right, right, whatever. All right. <laughs> I know, it's confusing, right? It went in the opposite direction. Initially, in its original form, the word silly meant things that were worthy they were blessed. They had, they had specific like value to them and weight to them. We can't even imagine that um, because now we think it, it means weak or vulnerable or, or foolish or whatever. Um, the word awful, that is so awful. We think that means what? Like terrible, right? That's terrible. And yet the root of that is the word awe, A-W-E, like awesome. It was it was something that, 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 that was worthy of our awe, like, whoa, awful, right? Crazy. Um, the word fizzle, fizzle. You with me on that one? All right, uh, so like uh, somebody use that in a sentence, fizzle. <laughs> oh, careful, John. See, John, <laughs> John's not a good person. Uh, you'll know why in a second. All right, someone else use it in a sentence. All right, I, uh, the candle, 
fizzled out, right? Which it kind of works, right? Um, in its original term, uh, fizzle. How do I say this? Think silent but deadly with me. Are you with me? Hmm? Um, it's a natural bodily function that might happen if you've consumed a large number of the magical fruit. Beans, beans. Fizzle. I'm just saying. Another word that I like that's changed is myriad. Although this one, there are some that have just, they've lost their meaning. They haven't necessarily flip-flopped, but they've just lost their fullness of meaning. And this one is interesting to me, Sam, because of some music that we did uh, with the choir this last year. Um, uh, he speaks and ten thousands of angels rejoice and myriads wait for his word, was the words to one of the beautiful songs that we sang uh, this past spring. Uh, myriad, we think that means a lot, right? Well, specifically, it originally meant 10,000. It was very specific. It was 10,000, not just a bunch. And so I thought that was interesting as I looked at that this week because those words in that song, this, this old, old uh, uh, spiritual uh, uh, classic literature piece of music, he speaks and 10,000s of angels rejoice and myriads wait for his word. 10,000s and thousands and thousands and thousands. It's cool imagery. Uh, final one, and this one might make sense if you're a fan of the Hunger Games. All right. What was the contest called? What were they having? Anyone? You said you were a fan. I'm, hello. It was the quarter quell. Yes, the quarter quell, Q-U-E-L-L. There's a reason the author chose that word, because we think that means, you know, hey, be quiet. We're going to quell the crowd, right? Be quiet. Quell used to mean to kill. So the quarter quell in the Hunger Games was the quarterly killing to keep the masses at bay, right? See, words mean things. Words are powerful. Some of the words that in the Christian realm, and particularly in the evangelical church, that we've really lost the meaning of, one of those that I would submit to you is the word gospel. We said that today we got to tell people the gospel, and then we're like, well, what is that? Um, good news. Uh, phrases sometimes have the same problem. I want you to come down front and give your heart to Jesus. Uh, you, should, you must be born again. Jesus said those words. Man came to him at night and said, what, what must I do to be saved? Jesus said, you must be born again. And then they have this beautiful discussion about what that means. But we can throw those words out, and if we're not careful, we are communicating in a language that's different than the people who are hearing what it is we're, we're saying. We ran into this when we first formed Christ Community Church. This is one of the long discussions that we had with uh, everyone who was here at the time in, in leadership was, we're like, okay, well, we're going to say that we're Christians, but what does that mean? Right? We're going we're gonna to say that um, we, be, we believe in Jesus Christ, but are we talking about the same Jesus Christ that everybody else is talking about? Um, if we use words like forgiveness or grace or repentance, are we all speaking the same language, even if we're using the same words? And... We find a lot of times that, that, that we don't, that we're not speaking the same language. This, this can be evidenced by last week when uh, my dad was here with me. He mentioned uh, how the, the percentages of people in the United States who claim or call themselves Christians has changed pretty dramatically over the last 20 to 30 to 40 years. But even so, if we drill down into those numbers and we start to ask people, okay, you say you're a Christian, but what does that mean? those ideas and those premises start to really break off into some, uh, some very different places to where even when someone says, I'm a Christian, and you say you're a Christian, you may not be talking about the same thing. 
See, one of you might be a follower of Christ, and another might be someone who is aware of Christ and thinks he's a good guy. And therefore, they think, that makes me a Christian. And so as we've talked for, for several weeks about casting vision and about mission and about growing the church and working through kind of this tough space that we've been in as God moves us into a new season of ministry for Christ Community Church, we come to the place where as I'm challenging you to share your faith with others, to share the good news, the gospel, that I want to be sure that we're talking about the same thing. There's a couple of different reasons for that. Uh, one, I want to make sure you know what the gospel is for you. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, Tom, uh, Shelly, and I went out, had some coffee, had a conversation, and he didn't know it. He just sent me a text and said, hey, can we have coffee? Uh, you mentioned something at church. I've got a video I'd like for you to see. I think, I think it'll be uh, helpful to you. Um, so he didn't know any of the other conversations I was having with about six or seven other people about this topic. And yet when we sat down, as he began to, to tell me about what he was thinking and, and, and what kind of God had said to him as, as he was listening to what we were talking about, it was like we were right in the same place. Uh, and it was just real great confirmation about this. But in the course of that conversation, he, he said a phrase that, that really captured me. He said, you know, we're in danger of people hearing just enough of the good news and liking it, believing it, to kind of get inoculated, but not fully healed by the good news. They get, they get just enough of an idea about Jesus. They get just enough of an idea about salvation. They go, oh, I like that. I like that premise, and there's some I can buy into that. But if we don't take them the full measure, we may actually be uh, doing something very dangerous in sharing a gospel that's, that's limited or in pieces instead of giving the full measure. What was interesting about that, I think literally that same day, now it was the next day because I met with Jason uh, the next day, we were uh, talking about all this the next day, I said this to him, and about an hour into our conversation, he looks down at his phone, and, and he just kind of does this, and one of the, the leaders that we follow, uh, Ed Stetzer, who's a great thinker, great mind, great Christian uh, teacher, had just sent out this tweet that said, all, I'm, it even used the word inoculation in it, in the same reference, in the same context. And so all these things happen to, to sort of underscore that this is, this is something we really need to address as a church. I need to address it with you. I want you to uh, get some of this information into your brain. It's going to take us a few weeks to get through all of this. I'm going to address part of it today, kind of lay the foundation. And then we're going to take some specific things over the next few weeks uh, with myself, with Pastor Jason. Uh, Don Ashley will be back. He's going to take one of those Sundays. And, uh, and I think it will be beneficial. So I would encourage you to take notes. Um, I'll ask our guys to be ready. If you need something to take notes on, uh, we can give you some uh, prayer cards. Uh, you can take some notes on there. But listen, and I'm talking, look, at, look in my eyes. I'm talking to all of you. I don't care if you've been a believer for 60, 70 years. I'm talking to you. Pay attention to this because it matters. It would be good for you to take notes for a self-check and so that you can be developed into someone who can actually actively share your faith. Because I'll say this, another element of this that, that really came up as we were talking about this is, if we call ourselves followers of Christ, if we have received the salvation that God has offered, we are required to share it. Not just by commandment, not just by the Great Commission, go therefore into all nations teaching them to do all these things which I have commanded you, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, all that stuff. That's a command, right? So it's not just from that perspective that we're required to share, but guys, if you truly believe that God in his goodness and his grace through the sacrifice, life, resurrection of Jesus Christ has purchased your soul for eternity and paid your debt of sin, and without that, 
you would spend an eternity in a terrible place of suffering, separated from God. If you believe that, how can you not share that with those who don't have it? It's that imperative. But we get to the place where we say, well, how do, what do I share? What do I need to know? So um, in these next several weeks, we're taking what can be shared in a simple way, but we're, we're, we're exploding it out to get to some of the details, the meat behind it, so that we can have a full understanding. Okay? So that's what I want you to do. Um, Lloyd, where'd you go? Uh, let's grab some of those cards, make them available to people. Grab some pens, too, if you can. And uh, anybody that wants one, I'll just encourage you to take a pen, take a piece of paper, take two or three cards. You, you might need them. Let me just say, I'm going to try and be as complete as possible. Uh, there's, there, are some, there are many, many things I won't cover today because we have four or five more weeks to cover some of these specific details. Uh, one of the things that I'm not going to cover today, but which is critical, it's really at the very beginning, is the problem of sin. Everything that we're talking about in these next few weeks, the remedy that God has offered us through Jesus Christ... is directly to remedy the problem of sin. And the problem of sin is that uh, Isaiah tells us that sin separates us from God. That's our problem. That's all of humanity's problem. Any sin that we commit separates us from God. And if we're separated from God by our sin, whether it's in this life or the next life, we cannot live in the place where God lives because we are separated. All right, so God offers through himself as he came in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ a remedy for that problem of sin. He offers our faith in Jesus Christ and in his goodness, his grace back towards us to rescue us from the penalty of that sin and to reconnect us with God instead of being separated. All right, does that make sense? All right, so um, all of this leads to the idea, something I mentioned last week and that we're going to explore again uh, uh, next week in more detail, the idea that, that if we're a Christian, if we're really a follower of Christ, whether you can do like my dad did here last week, where he could point uh, to a time, a day, uh, a, a specific location, all of the events that surrounded the moment when he chose to be a follower of Christ in response to that message of Jesus taking our place so that we could be reconnect, reconnected with God. Whether it's, it's that specific or maybe it's like uh, C.S. Lewis, a uh, fantastic writer, fantastic thinker. Uh, most people know him as the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, right? That's where most people know him from. But he also wrote some other fantastic uh, apologetic books about Christian faith and about his own journey to that. Because what a lot of people don't know is, is that for most of his life, C.S. Lewis was an atheist. Uh, he, he just categorically didn't believe there was a God. And then he became friends with a couple of other guys. One of them happened to be uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, who was a Christian. They became very close friends. And in the course of that uh, relationship over uh, cigars and brandies at the local pub in uh, England where they lived, they would basically argue about religion. And C.S. Lewis set out to prove that Christianity was fake. And he would say that, that along the way in trying to prove that Christianity was fake, he discovered that the gospel of Jesus was true. As far as a moment in time, this is the way that he described it. He had had all these conversations. He had done all this research trying to prove that God wasn't real, that Christianity was fake, that Jesus didn't matter. None of that was true. He had, he had put all of that into his, his head. He had sought God and found him. 
And then one day, he says, he was on the back of his motorcycle with his brother. His brother was driving the motorcycle. C.S. Lewis is on the back, and he said, we got on the motorcycle, and we drove from this place to that place, and somewhere in the middle, I believed. All of that knowledge and, and, and argument and discussion and contemplation that he had had came to uh, a moment right there. Somewhere in that trip, I believed. Now, could he... Did, did he remember the date? I don't know. Did he remember the specific time? Did he look at his pocket watch? Probably not. But he remembered when it happened because something changed. Something was different. Now, it could be. Every time I hear that story, it reminds me of uh, a story when I was uh, about 20 years old. I had I'd bought my first car. It was a Chrysler K car. Anyone? Anyone? Um, it was a Dodge Aries. Uh, this was the first government bailout of the auto industry, by the way. Um, K cars. I bought one, brand new, down at Anchorage Chrysler Dodge. Drove that thing around and, and wore it out. But before there were, if you've ever been out to the camp, Laverne Griffin, before there were houses and all that stuff out there, the camp was there. There was just at one building, which was uh, what you see now, about half of the dining hall was all that was there and some really crummy cabins. And of course, the lake was there. Uh, when I was about 11, I'd gone and helped clear the road from the parking lot out to where the sign is that you turn into now. Everything else was just wild, virgin, uncut forest. There were no uh, houses there, there were no complexes, there were no fences, no road signs, no nothing. So uh, even back then, I would go out there and go fishing. And I went with some friends of mine, uh, Daryl Shirley, uh, Ross Johansson, they rode in Ross's truck. Neil Shirley and I rode in my car, my little K car, and we drove out there. And the problem was there were no road signs. There was no Google Maps, right? Uh, we had phones, kids, we had phones that were connected to the wall <laughs> by a cable. And if you wanted to go in another room and use that phone, you had to have a super long spongy cable, you know, like a coil springy cable to walk from one room to the other, right? And if you wanted to find somebody's phone number, you had to either write it down previously in a book or you had to go to a giant book and open it up and look their name up. It's crazy. So that's the world we lived in. I mean, it was like medieval times, right? And um, we'd gone out to go fishing this day and Ross is in his truck with Daryl, and I'm in my car, and, and somewhere out there on those roads back around Pittman, we got separated. And none of us really knew where we were going. This is how you found you, and you'll, you'll identify with this, some of you. You know, you'd go someplace, and you'd get there because you recognize what it looked like, right? You go, oh, hey, that tree. I remember that tree right there, or those roads, right? Am I lying? No, right? It's true. It sounds stupid, but it's true. And, and so we're driving out there, and we can't find, can't find a landmark that makes sense. And we know we're going in generally the right direction. And, uh, man, time is running out. We're like, we want to go fishing. We came out here to go fishing. And I am flying down those gravel roads in my little K car. And we get around one corner. And, you know, if you get enough speed and lose enough contact with the ground on gravel, the gravel becomes a lot like driving on marbles. Like if you threw a bunch of marbles down on the ground and you stepped on them, like, what? It's like, then that's what the car did. We were around this corner and the car went, whoa! And I thought we were going in the trees at a significant rate of speed. Now they call it drifting. <laughs> I just thought we were dying. Um, and Neil did too because we, we, we whipped around that corner and started to go straight, and he reached over, and he grabbed my arm, and he said, said, dude, I know I'm going to heaven, but I don't want to go today. <laughs> now, maybe C.S. Lewis's ride was like that. I don't know, right? And somewhere in between there, he said, I believe, because uh, I may not make it out of here alive. I don't know. But it was a moment. And so as we go through this series, this is really the thing I want you to to kind of do a self-check for is do you have a moment? 
it may not be that crystal clear, but guys, there has to be a time where we actively said in response to God's call, I believe. And in the aftermath of that, our lives changed. Were they, were they instantly changed? In some ways, yes. Did everything instantly change? No, but am I changing? Yes, I am. By the grace of God. Right? Okay. So, let's dive into this. Um, Hunter, you back there? All right, first slide. So, uh, Christianity is what we call uh, a soteriologic religion. And what that means, there's two words there, soter, save or deliver, logos, word. It means it's a word about being saved or delivered. Right? So, Christianity, by its definition, is a religion that believes in a Savior. Now, there are other religions that believe in saviors, but they may not either be a person. It could be a thing that saves you. Or it could be a different person that saves you. We, as Christians, it's in our name, believe that Christ alone holds the power to save us. And as I said, he's saving us from our sin, right? So that's the first thing. Next slide. It's critical for us to understand the doctrines of salvation, of, of, of what we believe and, and why we believe it. What does the Bible tell us? Because our own salvation depends on our understanding what we're responding to when God reaches out to us. If God reaches out to us and we respond to him, what are we responding to? Is it just a good feeling? Uh, is it just a nice idea? Or, or is there substance to it? Is, are there things that are contained within our response that God requires in order to say to us, I, I grant you the gift of salvation. Be because we know the gift of salvation is offered to everyone, but does everyone receive it? No. Some actively reject it, right? And so there has to be some, some total of, well, this is what, this is what the, the elements of salvation are that we believe and it's all contained within the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and then the second reason why it's so important is because God chooses to ask us to communicate it to the world around us. So I mentioned that, that passage, go therefore into all nations, right? We, we, we know that when we call it the Great Commission. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I really appreciate Tom uh, bringing this uh, uh, video to me that I watched a couple weeks ago because it pointed out that this isn't actually a new concept, which... In case you didn't know, most of the things in the New Testament aren't new. The covenant that God makes with us is new. But the underlying ideas about loving your neighbor, uh, loving God with everything that you have, um, uh, sharing the good news, living a life that's righteous as a people set apart from other people on the earth, that is not new. That was there all the time from the very beginning. And so if we go all the way back to the book of uh, 1 Kings, chapter 8, which I don't think I have a slide for this, do I? Nope, okay. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses uh, 59 through 61. It says this, Let these words of mine, which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, so that... All the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. Let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. And so he's, he says here to the people, he's, he's praying, he says, let everything that I'm doing glorify God. So that everyone around us can observe who we are and see the truth that God is God and there is no other God. And then, as we do that, give me the power, the strength, the energy, the wisdom to live my life every day in a way that demonstrates that truth just like I am today. 
this, I mean, it's the same thing with the Christian life today. It should be that, that we respond to the greatness of God, which is what he's doing. And there's some, some fantastic things that have happened in this story right here where this passage comes in. And the people are celebrating and responding to God, uh, glorifying him about what he's done and where they've come to. And then the response to that is to live their lives in such a way that other people can see that God is who he says he is and that they do it onward. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-day deal. It's a lifestyle. It's a way we live. We live as those who are followers and believers of Christ. All right, next slide for me. So the gospel essentials, the deity of Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? What does the Bible say about him? Uh, and uh, how is that different than what a lot of other people say about it? Our salvation in Christ is by grace alone. We can't work for it. Uh, our good deeds won't gain us salvation in the eyes of God. It's a gift that he gives us specifically as a, as a gift in, in our response to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Then the good news, the gospel, according to the Bible. I believe that, that God is able in his infinite power and wisdom to preserve the Bible that we have today from, from days of old to give us the truth that he wants us to have. Uh, this is why I don't, I, I can't, I can't believe that some of the religions that we have around us in our community and in our culture, in our, in, in our world, that have additional books, that have been additional revelations about the gospel, I don't believe they're true. I think they're in error. Because if God wasn't able to, 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 to keep his word in the Bible for us until this day, why would I trust him to keep the new revelation for the next day? Why would I trust him to keep the next revelation for the next day? He's either God and he's able to do that and he's able to work his will to, to restore us and to give us the truth that we need the first time around or he's not really a very good God. He has to be able. He has to be capable. And the good news that we believe today is specifically rooted in the truths that we find in the Bible and nowhere else. And the last one, big word, monotheism. Monotheism. It's a big word that means there is only one God. And look, you can, you can believe a lot of other things, right? You can be a lot of other things and not believe any of this. But if you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to say, I'm a follower of Christ... These really aren't negotiable. It'd be like, um, there's some stupid commercial going around right now. It's all these insurance commercials, right? Uh, pretty sure it's an insurance commercial. There's like a football player doing a news conference, and then some guy comes in and he starts yelling out like basketball commands and baseball commands. What is it? Oh, it's a phone. Yeah, all right. So second worst commercial is phone. Right, but it's kind of like that. The, the, the football player is going, wrong game. You know, wrong calls, wrong ideas. You can't, you can't say that I'm a football player and then go out and, and do nothing but play basketball. That would mean you're something else. So if you're going to be a Christian, there are things that we have to believe together, corporately, and they're based in the Bible. All right, so... Let's take that first one, the deity of Christ. Go with me, Hunter. All right, the deity of Christ. John chapter 8, 23 through 25. There's going to be a lot of scripture today and not a lot of uh, commentary in addition to the scripture from this point out. It's a lot of scripture. Um, I will post these somewhere if you want to get these later. All right. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees who basically have said, who do you think you are? He says this, 
You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. This, con this conversation about sin here is really important because there's another place where uh, there's a man who's, who's ill and Jesus heals him and he says to him, uh, be healed. Now go and sin no more. And the religious leaders say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Only God has the power to forgive sins. And Jesus goes, right? Right? I know. That's how that works. And he's saying the same thing here. He says, look, I told you you're going to die in your sins. And if you don't believe that I'm the one, that's what's going to happen to you. And they know fully well, because they are the smartest religious leaders of the day, they know that the only one the scripture says who is capable of forgiving sin is God. Another passage, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14, we've used these a lot. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 14, and the Word, right, remember what it said. In the beginning, the Word was in the beginning. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This, this section here may be the most emphatic statement that Jesus is God in all of the Bible. It's so crystal clear in this passage. That's why I uh, love my Jehovah's Witnesses friends. But in the version of the Bible that they use called the New World Scripture, new, the New World Translation of the Scriptures, this particular verse says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Now I can tell you, the A article is not in the Greek. It's not there. But you can't have some other ideas if you believe that Jesus is really God. You have to make him into something else. He has to be a sub-God or a side-God or a sort of God, but he can't be almighty God in those paradigms. Then uh, one more, John chapter 10, verses 29 through 33. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, I'm going to address this here in a little bit uh, about the, the, the idea of the Trinity, because this is where, this is where sometimes people get confused, right? Because here's Jesus talking about, he said, well, there's me and there's the Father. And the Father does this, and I do this, but I, the Father and I are one. And you'll get, this, uh, you'll get this argument that, see, they can't be the same, because he's talking about them as two different people. It just means they're one in purpose. But here's the problem with that. In all of these passages like this, and I'm going to share a couple others with you later, Jesus puts himself at the same level as God the Father. They're equal. And if they're equal, there cannot be only one God. Because, see, that makes two who are equal. And that would be two gods, not one. And God has said from the beginning, there's only one. But we see his expression in other ways, in Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit. So don't be confused by that language. Uh, Jesus is actually speaking in a way that the people of the day understood, and uh, uh, we'll get to it here in just a second. All right, so I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, 
I've shown you so many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? And then the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for your blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. They didn't say, You, being a man, make yourself a God or like God. They said, when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, they went, <gasps> I mean, it was, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a crazy, like, lot of, oh, did you hear what he said? I can't believe he said that. I, that's a, oh, my gosh, he blasphemed. We're going to pick up rocks. We're going to throw them at him. We're going to kill him. Because he just said he's God. Nobody says that. So if you can't believe in the idea of the language that I and the Father are one, you go, I don't know what that means. You can believe in the response of the Jewish leaders because they knew exactly what he said. And they were deeply offended by that. And they called him out. They said, you make yourself out to be God. And we're going to stone you for that. So, that first pivotal idea is the deity of Christ. He is not just a good man. He's not a, a, a God. He's not like God. He is God clothed in human flesh. Here for the purpose of living that sinless life and offering himself as a sacrifice to solve our problem of being separated from God because of our sin. If you say you're a Christian, this is one of those things you really got to believe. That is true. Now, there's some sub-points off of this idea of Jesus. Um, so the next one is, let's go to that next slide, Hunter. Uh, did I miss one? Can you go back? Go back one more. Okay, that's me. It's all on me. Um, so hang on to that for just a second. Uh, so uh, some of those sub-things. Okay, so if, if, uh, if Jesus is God, the deity of Christ, he is God. God, I and the Father are one. Some things that come uh, with that are that, therefore, then, Jesus is the only way to salvation. See, if God is providing the salvation and Jesus is God, there is no other pathway to salvation except through Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says it like this. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's pretty straightforward, right? Uh, there, there's a lot of things in the Bible that don't leave much wiggle room. He says, there is no other name given to all of humanity by which we can be saved except Jesus Christ. It's Acts chapter 4, verse 12. A second one, and this trips up a lot of people, is the virgin birth. You say, well, now why is that critical? Really? Does it really happen this way? I mean, the Gospels uh, tell us uh, that, uh, that Mary was chosen by God, that the Holy Spirit... Uh, uh, came upon her and, and implanted the Spirit of God within her womb, and she gave birth to Jesus, the only uh, perfect child ever born, sinless. Um, it was prophesied that that would be true, so Jesus had to fulfill that prophecy. And then the angel in Matthew said to Mary, this is how it's going to work, this is what he said, Matthew... Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why is it critical that, uh, that we believe in the virgin birth? Because one of the things that we understand from Scripture is that uh, the stain of sin touches everyone who's born because when Adam and Eve sinned, it caused all of creation to be fallen. All of creation to be infected by the problem of sin. And the only way that any one of us could avoid that would be somehow to not be born out of that carnality, out of that, that flesh uh, that carries the, the burden of sin, the stamp of sin. This, by the way, do I want to open that? Sure. By the way, this is an interesting to think about, thing to think about when you think about the idea and, and the, the argument and discussion over abortion. 
because somehow, I, I don't know if God utilized Mary's egg or if it was just completely like he put matter inside her that became Jesus. I don't know. But I do know this. He used the vessel of a woman and he excluded the vessel of a man. And that child was born sinless. And I think that may say something about the sanctity of that baby when a woman becomes pregnant. Um, I don't know exactly what it says, but I think it's important and it's something to think about uh, in the context of that, about the importance of life uh, within a mother's womb. So, the virgin birth. Third thing, subset under uh, the deity of Christ, is the Trinity, all right? Uh, the Trinity, if you think, that word is not in the Bible, by the way. You can look all over and you won't find it. The principle is in the Bible, but the word is not in the Bible. The Trinity, the triune nature of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And again, some people go, well, you have these verses like um, Matthew 28 uh, that we just talked about, 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And they'll go, well, see, there's three right there. They can't be the same. There's three because they mention three. But you have to understand the way communication was happening here. For those to be placed in that sentence that way, they were all given equal status. That's why they were put together. That's why it doesn't just say, go and baptize them in the name of the Father. It was critical for the, for the disciples to understand that these three expressions of God were equal, even though they were somehow supernaturally distinct. So while some look at these verses and say, well, these are confusing because there's, there's three different ones, if you understand the way it's written, it's actually very clear. It's, it's really trying to tell you. It's, it's proclaiming over and over and over again, these are the same. These are the same. They're together. These are the same. That's why I put them together all the time. All right, then 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's the same thing. Are they three distinct things? Yes, they are. But are they, are they equal? Are they the same? Yes, they are. Do I understand that in its fullness? I do not. The Trinity, that, that, that trifold nature of God is one of those things that I don't fully comprehend. I can't, you know, my brain's too small to wrap completely around it. It's almost for me like sometimes that, uh, that word that you can almost think of, right? But you can't quite grab it. It's kind of like that. I, I, I feel like I get close to, to seeing it, and then, and then it's elusive. And that used to really bother me. And then I realized that that's a good thing. Because I really want the almighty God that I'm placing my faith in to at least retain a little bit of mystery. Because if I can fully understand every aspect of him right now in my broken state, I arrived at the conclusion if I can do that, if I can fully quantify God and everything about him right now in this, in this space, in this world today, he's me. If I can understand everything about him, he's just another guy. There has to be some mystery to the presence and nature of God. And this is one of them for me. I get close to it, and I understand it enough to receive it as truth, but I can't fully explain it. But I think these verses and that concept does a really great job. They're placed here together because they're equal. All right, then just a couple more points. So after the deity of Christ with all those subpoints, second one, salvation comes only by grace, not good works. And you run into that. You, you'll ask people, Hunter, go to that next slide. You'll ask people, uh, go previous one. Man, what did I do? <sighs> I love technology. I'll give you the, the text here in a minute. But, but you'll find this. If you go and talk to someone, and like you say, if you ask one of those, those loaded questions, um, 
If you died today and you stood at the pearly gates and you asked Jesus, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And a lot of people would say, and maybe you will, here's a self-check, and say, well, I've been pretty good. Right? I've been a good person. And maybe you have. There are people who are genuinely really good people, right? But are they perfect? I don't think so. How many... How many times do you have to steal to be a thief? How many times do you have to lie to be a liar, right? And those are, those are terminal conditions, like you'll always bear the stain of that. Now, you can, you can turn your life back, right? You can turn your life in the right direction, and we do that hopefully through the power of Christ, and he offers to us his salvation, his grace, his righteousness, because our good works aren't enough to overcome our bad works. Um, <laughs> there's a, a great preacher named John MacArthur. Uh, some of you may have heard, heard of him. He's a, a great uh, speaker on leadership, and he's just this big, powerful personality. He's very famous in some circles. And uh, I was listening to a, a guy the other day talking about he was, he was preaching at a conference, and he looked down, and John MacArthur is sitting in the front row, and it's one of his heroes. It'd be like, you know, like Billy Graham or somebody like that. Bang, right there. And he didn't know he was going to be there, and so he starts speaking. And then as he's speaking, he's thinking through all the things. He's like, man, I hope I'm doing this right. I, I hope John MacArthur really likes the way that I'm, I'm doing this. I hope that he's impressed with what I'm saying. And uh, they get in the car, and his wife goes, what was wrong with you? Like, you were not at all yourself. I don't, I don't even know who that guy was up there speaking. And he says, he says, did you know, did you know John MacArthur was right there in the front row? And I was, I was just so caught up in thinking, man, I hope he's a hero of mine. I love the way he speaks, and, and I hope that he's impressed with what I was doing. And his wife says, so you're telling me, you're telling me that you're there on the stage preaching, teaching about the God of the universe, and you're more worried about if John MacArthur thinks you're doing a good job than if God thinks you're doing a good job. And he says, she didn't know what she was talking about. So I started to explain how important John MacArthur was and all the books that he had written and all these things I'd seen. And he talked about all the good things that John MacArthur had done. And he got finished, and she was quiet for a minute. She goes, all of John MacArthur's good works are like filthy rags in the eyes of God. She's right. Pick your best person. We've done the demonstration with the ladder and the cross here, you know, Mother Teresa, all those people, Billy Graham, all those people. And we tend to think, oh, they're way up the cross, they're way up the ladder, you know, because they're so good. And then we put, you know, Hitler down at the bottom. Yeah, I get it. In our human estimation, that's what it's like. But at the end of the day, everything good that we have to offer still doesn't compare to the righteousness of God. And if we want to be reconnected to God, we need his level of righteousness, not our level of righteousness, as good as we can be. And so salvation is not something we can earn or work for or do a good job and get. It is a gift from God in response to our faith in him. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says it like this. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works. Get that? This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Because uh, there's an old saying, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Everybody's in the same spot. See, if you could work your way to it, then I could point at you and go, ha, I'm better than you. And that has no place in the kingdom. So that no one may boast. For we, Christians, we are his workmanship. 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That reminds me of 1 Kings, right? That, that we respond to him. We see his goodness and we respond, we respond to him. We say, wow, he really is God and I want to be reconnected with him. And then we live out that life in front of everyone else for the rest of our days, uh, doing good works, that we should walk in them always. All right, then 1 Corinthians 15, 14. The resurrection of Jesus must be true. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The resurrection. You've got to believe in that. Because without the resurrection, there's no hope for eternal life. I say this all the time, without the resurrection, Jesus' story just becomes a tragic tale of a good man. But with the resurrection, it becomes a powerful tale of God's provision for you and I. And the result of that is God's offer of grace to us. Because we can't raise ourselves. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that raises us to new life in Christ. All right, the gospel of the scriptures. Do I have this one? Did I get this one right, Hunter? Let's try it. What's next? Hey, the gospel of the Bible, awesome. Okay, and what I mean by this is something that I mentioned earlier. And this passage says it. If we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. This is um, Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. This is a self-declarative verse in the book of Galatians. And we say, well, how do we know that he's talking about this Bible and how do we know that he's talking about this gospel? That's one of those things that you can read in the God questions and there's actually a great uh, bookmark back there that John got for us too about how we know how we can have confidence that the Bible we have today is the Bible that we can believe in. Uh, we see examples all through scriptures, the letters, just like Galatians, where the writer refers to other letters that we have in our Bible as scripture. We already know what the Jewish people kept as the, the Torah and uh, the books that they held valuable as, as demonstrations and examples of how God had interacted and worked and communicated to, to mankind. Those are in our Bible. And so it's self-declarative where he's saying, listen, the gospel that came originally from the mouth of Jesus Christ and his disciples, don't be dissuaded from that by something else. You, can, you know, you can, you can sum up the gospel message like, like this. Jesus is God in the flesh who died for our sins, rose from the dead, and freely gives the gift of eternal life to those who believe. You say, believe what? Believe the things I'm talking to you about this morning. Who is Jesus? What was his purpose? What is his purpose today? How do you respond to him and receive that gift? And then final point, monotheism. Monotheism, there's only one God. And if you listen to this now, based on what I said earlier about, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost in those passages, you understand that the idea of passages of Scripture like this underscores the idea of the Trinity, even though we hear all three of those personalities talked about. So here it is, uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. What are idols? They're other gods, right? The writer here takes a bold statement. He says, look, those gods don't even exist. They're just nothing. We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. All right, so he's just said there's only one God. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many 
gods and lords, yet there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. He notices that, you notice that he uses very similar language for both of them about uh, through whom and with whom we do and through whom and with whom we exist because he's underscoring that point that there's one God. One God. But that he expresses himself in different ways. So let me recap those things for you, all right? Just so you can make sure you got it. Some of the essentials to the gospel, some of the essentials to the Christian faith, to say, if I'm a Christian, these are some things that I believe. The deity of Christ. The sufficiency of Jesus for salvation and no one else. His sinless birth and life. His threefold nature with the Father and the Holy Spirit. That our salvation is a gift from God and we can't earn it. That the gospel we believe today is the same gospel that was preached and taught in the Bible and that there is no other. And that there is indeed one God. And he alone is worthy of our worship. Now the next uh, few weeks we're going to talk about some some details of some of those things, and I don't want you to miss. Uh, this is a great time to invite friends to come. I, I really want you to take this information and, and, and internalize it about how can I share the gospel. I'm going to close this series with a very straightforward example of how to share the gospel, okay? But we're going to take uh, about four weeks. We're going to talk about um, rebirth. Hunter, do I have this slide? I know I made one. Did I put it up there? Yay. Um, Rebirth. Re Some people call it regeneration. Becoming a new creation. This is what happens in that moment. Wherever that moment is, this is what happens. It's regeneration, and then it's a process that continues throughout our lives. So rebirth, new creation, justification by the righteousness of Christ, meaning we are made just in the eyes of God, not by our good works, because remember, our good works can't do it, but we take on the righteousness of Christ, and he gives us that. And the third one, there's a big word called sanctification. This is the ongoing, this is the ongoing being saved. We get saved, we're born again, but sanctification is the ongoing process of being saved. I'm becoming more of a saved person. I can't, I'm not, I'm not going to fall off the edge. I can't get unsaved, but it's a, it's a process, right? It's a journey. It's a life. If I'm reborn, I have to grow up as a new person in Christ. And so sanctification is the process of that growing up into a fully devoted, fully realized follower of Christ. And then lastly, they call it glorification, but becoming our eternal selves. Heaven. Eternity with God, what that looks like. That promise that God gives us that this life is not a throwaway, but it's preparation for a life eternal with him. So that's where we're going over the next several weeks. I want you to be here, be a part of it. Um, if you have any questions about this this morning, come chat with me. I'd love to see you and talk with you about that. But uh, with that being said, would you stand with me for closing prayer? I just want to suggest to you as, as we pray here that it's possible. It's possible that if you, as you've heard some of this, you realize that this is your moment. <laughs> that you've understood some things here from Scripture and from this teaching that, that make you realize that, wow, I've, I've been sort of standing next to Jesus, but it's not like I've really been following. But I want to be a follower. I believe that stuff. And I want that change in my life. The components, the, the ideas to receive that are to realize that first. You have to realize your need, right? 
I'm separated from God by my sin, and I need him to be reconnected. And that only comes by putting my faith in Jesus Christ. If you'll do that, you can pray whatever prayer you want to pray. Pray it to God. Confessing your sin and accepting his salvation. And being committed then to live your life as a follower of Christ would live their life. Then this can be your moment. And I'll just give you that for a second. Now, if that happened for you this morning, when we're, if that happened for you this morning, when we're finished, I want you to come and talk with me, all right? Let's have a conversation about that before you go. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. Lord, help, uh, help us. Help us to understand these, these important things, these principles from Scripture. Help us to see the, the beauty of them in our own lives and our relationship with you. Lord, may it draw us to you, particularly, Lord, if we're out there wandering or we are, in fact, not saved. Lord, we have not made a decision for Christ. May your Holy Spirit draw us to a place of confession and repentance and acceptance of your gift of salvation. Lord, may we also take this knowledge and may it take root in our hearts so that when we have the opportunity, we can effectively share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.